Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe. Now introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Gaines, and Ed Mann. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Three Devs and a Maybe. I am Michael Budd and today I am joined as always by Ed Mann. How are you? Hello, I'm very good. Maybe I should say sometimes, no, I'm not very good because I, I realize I just say, yeah, I'm good all the time. Yeah, just come you on day so you know. You're really... I am genuinely all pretty good, so it's all good. How are you yeah. doing, Mixter? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Busy as always, but um, yeah, it's uh, just living the dream. So uh, Very, very nice. Yeah, yeah. I was just—I was going to say, uh, have you been keeping up to date with the AWS reInvent stuff that went on last week? No, but I, I did see emails, and there was something that came through which looked interesting. I can't remember what what it was. It was something about lambdas increased something or other. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So there was a lot. I, I was sad enough to like watch the keynote live and all that kind of stuff. Um, they put on like. For development, I've realized like this, they are like the Apple event kind of thing, you know, where they've got like the keynotes and they've got all the product launches and stuff. And it's very Apple like. Yeah. So it's quite exciting, really, and really nerdy. Um, but yeah, one of the ones was the Lambda. So the double inc- increase um, in memory to, to double it pretty much. So it was 1.5, now it's three gig of memory per Lambda. So when you're running a Lambda, you have three gigs worth of memory to play around with, right. uh, which is great for, you know, like, you know, intensive memory, intensive stuff. Yeah. Um, so it just adds and expands on what you can actually do with a Lambda, which is great. Um, a couple of other things. Uh, one thing I really wanted to talk to you about, actually, was because I know you, uh, when you did the university course and stuff, you were looking into machine learning and things. Yes. And there is a lot of stuff that AWS is doing around that. Yeah. Like the new P3 series just is insane. So that's like a P3 instance type, which compute for, for compute. And it is insane. Like the amount of GPU power you get out of it, these Tesla, Voltra, gpu graphics cards all this craziness um but they they're doing a lot of work with not only the underlining stuff like i think it's like apache mx and and tensorflow and stuff like these for learning algorithms but like they've made a level on top called SageMaker, which is essentially allows you to build these kind of like i don't really know how to word them like kind of like build these models and stuff to teach and learn them and all that and then they've got they've got like the, the layer above which is their application services which is stuff like the They've got like Amazon Comprehend, which allows you to pass text and it will do natural language processing. So it'll work out like interesting parts of text and people and places and and sentiment analysis and all that kind of fun stuff. And there's other things like um, Amazon, what was it called? There was one which was to do with Amazon. So it could actually, um, it could actually like convert speech to text. So it was one thing I was thinking for the, the podcast particularly was to get show notes out of it. And it's quite a cheap service, I think it will be. It's, it's only out in private, um, in preview at the moment. But it would be really cool actually maybe to get like, you know, kind of all of our all of the um, episodes put, run through it and get some show notes out of it so we can actually get like some transcripts. So it'd be quite interesting. But there, there, there seems to be so much stuff around it. And, and I definitely recommend like if you've got some time, because I know you're very, 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 you know, so much non-busy, time. so much time, you know, you're a non-busy man, they say. That's right. Uh, SageMaker looks interesting for, for machine learning. Okay. That does sound quite interesting. I... I know, like, I can't remember if I mentioned this in the last podcast, but obviously, since you were, like, banging on about, oh, Amazon's so brilliant, everyone should use it, anyone who doesn't use it is an idiot, uh, quote, quote, absolute quote. Um, but, so I did start looking at it, and I was using S3, I started playing with it and stuff, but I, I've got, like, one question, 
And it's a silly question, but you know, as I think you once said, the only stupid question is the question you don't ask, you right? Don't Absolutely, sir. Right. So I I've been looking like um a lot into like the encryption side of things and you know, like um the encryption they do at the box and, and all, all the rest. And and it all looks great. Um, but my big question is at the moment, like, and it's all it goes back to like kind of like cartoon where you know, like you've got like this big uh, installation with servers inside and like people outside with machine guns and all the rest, and then there's like the, just like a door open at the back where someone could just walk in and, and get stuff. And it's like you could have all the best software, all the best kind of encryption, but if people can sort of get to it, you know, then it's it's redundant. But so my question here is, if someone had like your username and password to your actual Amazon account, as soon as they get in, they could do pretty much anything, right? You are correct there, sir. So that becomes the point of like kind of you have to two-factor it. You have to lock accounts down. You have to use good passwords. Um, you know, it's you have things like KMS, which is the key management service and stuff. So there's a lot of things between like data at rest and data in transit. In transit, you use like TLS and things like that to encrypt it all through. So, you know, going from, you know, client to client or, you know, between between servers and whatnot. Um, and then you have at rest where you can encrypt it using like things like KMS, which will encrypt like, say, the EBS volumes and all of the data itself. And then you have the keys available. You know, you only have the key available and unlock it based on, you know, your user credentials and stuff. But I was thinking, so in some ways, I mean, obviously, I know you, you've literally got um, your, your code on like an EC2 instance and stuff. But if you were to keep that separate, so you had your code on a separate non-Amazon infrastructure and your database on Amazon infrastructure, infrastructure RDS and all the rest, then if you kept your key, like your um, your private key on the separate server instance where the code is, then I guess that in some ways is safer from having it on your Amazon if you didn't have two key. Uh, so KMS is a service on Amazon. So you actually use that in conjunction, conjunction with it. And like you, it's kind of opaque, really. You won't see it happening, really. Okay. Um, I mean, one way you could get around it is that if you are, you know, you want to use S3 for just object storage and you don't want to, you know, use any of the stuff in it and you really want Amazon to be hidden completely from it, even if someone went in and got to these objects and were able to read them that they really didn't understand anything, you could encrypt it at, you know, the application level that you have um, when you put it in and take it out, you know, encrypt it and decrypt it. Yeah. Um, and kind of do it that way. So, you know, you say your DigitalOcean box and stuff. But one thing, another thing, I know that you're a big fan of DigitalOcean, but one thing I did mm. notice was LightSail, which is their kind of competitor, um, which, you know, can, kind of provides just that $5, you know, kind of instances and all that kind of stuff. They are adding load balancers and also free SSL certificates, which auto renew. So you could just have a load balancer, which then you just have. So you could, you know, in theory, yeah, have the load balancer, have one instance just, you know, kind of behind it, just so you could take advantage of like the SSL certificates for free. Kind of, I know that Let's Encrypt does it, but then you have to also obviously like, you know, deal with the handling of renewing them. But it's just something that Amazon will just deal with for you. Okay. And the second question I sort of have was, because I listened, I listened to you. This will surprise you, but... You listened to me? I Whoa. To you. That is not good. I know. Uh, I was listening to your podcast with Joe, which was really good. And, um, you know, thanks to Joe for spending his spare time again doing a podcast with us. It's uh, really good of him. Um, but, yeah, obviously you were talking about security in PHP. And that also got me thinking, and I'm sure this is probably open to debate, but if you wanted if security was like your main sort of um, focus with an application you were creating, would that 
have an impact on the programming language you would use. And and you'll probably say maybe ten years ago or something, or I, I don't know what I don't know what the answer to that question is. But do you have a an answer to that? Hmm, that's a good question. I don't really know because like there are like watertight languages like the Aders of the world and stuff, aren't they? That are very kind of like they're, they're they're for like mission critical things that people use and whatnot. And you know, I suppose it's the language that you're going to do the least kind of mistakes in. Like, but then that's hard as well. Um, I don't, I couldn't say that. Like, I would say, you know, PHP, like adding Libsobium and stuff like that, you know, these are just great additions that as long as you're writing the code in a secure way, you know, you're thinking of it for your level, obviously all okay, all languages and stuff are going to have some problems. Uh, you know, bugs exist everywhere. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say, you know, maybe you're using C or then you're like, oh no, you have to use assembly. Oh no, you have to use Go or this. I would say, you know, the language you pick, really kind of has to be do do they deal with security bugs well have they got sufficient tooling around it such as like you know the like the integration of something like libsobium which is you know miles and miles better than like the mcrypts of the world which are now you know kind of defunct pretty much um so you can actually you know deal with encryption and stuff in a you know today's standards um and and really kind of coding coding well like in quotes you know kind of safely um, it's such a different way of thinking. Like I know that I think that's where AWS has kind of helped a lot as well. Where and then going back to AWS, where it's kind of like you know putting things such as like you know encryption everywhere and all this kind of stuff has just helped because it really does just kind of make it easier. Um, if you're having to think about it all the time, that's the problem. Like you have to have people either th- in a, in your company thinking about it all the time. Or if you just kind of provide it as a service and it just kind of transparently happens. I did say actually, you know that you know the the encryption and stuff with key you know key management store stuff was um key, sorry, key management systems was opaque and it kind of transparent but actually you know you can do things such as like encrypt certain bits of data and pass them as environment variables which get decrypted and stuff so you can store them in github repositories or git repositories and stuff well i guess anything i, I mean i could be completely wrong saying this but paypal right is predominantly written in php the the code behind paypal is it i i that's pretty cool. I might be completely lying there, but I I seem to remember Facebook definitely is well hack, but yeah. So, but I remember being at a PHP conference and remember saying about the amount of uh, currency that goes through co- a software written in PHP, and you know it was obviously billions, and they were saying obviously you know, and people who make PHP make no money out of it, and I'm sure that PayPal got a mention. So, but I could be completely wrong and i'm gonna get slaughtered for it so it's the kind of thing i talk about it and then i research it after the podcast which is the right time to research the material so uh yeah i'll have a look and um, then apologize in the next podcast <laughs> no but i you know i think that you say like there's there's two schools of thought you know do you want to trust amazon at least like can you trust amazon more than you trust yourself where you kind of just you know kind of say look you're going to do a better job of dealing with this encryption than me. I'm going to put myself, you know, because you can bring your own keys and stuff. That That's one thing, actually, there was in the keynote, there was thing Goldman Sachs uh, talking about, like, the, you know, they want, obviously, the encryption and to look, bring their own keys and stuff and everything can provide the keys, et cetera, which may be something, actually, that you probably want to look into, um, you know, with this kind of thing where they have a lot more control. There's also things like hardware encryption kind of things they can add in and stuff like that if you want to get some really technical. So, I mean, all these big, you know, these big companies like banks, and all this are using it so there's obviously going to be 
you know an element there that they obviously have their own security that they trust they they trust amazon to an extent but then obviously they they obviously have their own internal teams and security teams that are doing a lot of the work so i think amazon have catered for that and have you know every time you know it seems to be that every time there's a problem that a customer has amazon will add a service or rethink about something and i think that's one of the beautiful things about it they constantly change and as the the name of the you know the conference is they constantly reinvent it's insane actually how much they how much they change how much they kind of innovate over stuff and they provide to us you know like this machine learning stuff is groundbreaking stuff um and there's like actually something like a deep lens which is going to be a developer centric kind of hardware component video that you can experiment and do like kind of machine learning in hardware on and actually buy it so next year you'll be able to buy this machine learning you know camera and be able to do you know incredible things such as what the guy was showing how he could put up a a vinyl so he put up a picture of an album art and do a sad face or a smiley face and it would actually compute you know what the album was if he was happy or sad with it and then eventually with you know building up this kind of knowledge he would then be able to generate a music library playlist based on the things he liked and this is all stuff you can do. You know, this is this is stuff that you know you can train models yourself. And because it's also because it's cloud based, and this is one thing I'm realizing more and more with the cloud is that you don't, you know, you can just experiment so much more and and really kind of try things out. And you know, you can go to the level you want. Where if you really want the you know the, the lowest levels, there's now like EC2 bare metal instances where you have the clouds. You know, kind of philosophy around you know start up pay on demand do what you want etc but you get to actually deal with the hardware at the base level where you actually get to you know in you know kind of integrate with the cpu with the gpu and stuff or you go up levels and levels and levels and you've got like the new container stuff the new kubernetes stuff and all this and especially like with the machine learning where you know they've given you SageMaker, which is this this platform that allows you to kind of abstract away certain bits that you may not want to know about yet or you may not need to or you just yeah use the the transcribes or the transcripts or the you know all the amazon like recognition stuff of the world which just yeah brilliant stuff you're such an amazon guy now it's uh sickening it really is I mean, uh, <laughs> you know what this is changed. the sad thing though i know this is the funny thing like i i i have been putting it off for so long and it's finally like opened the doors being like wow there's so much stuff now like now i think you know my builders kind of we've moved over to amazon stuff and we've kind of heavily kind of invested our well you know we're running on it now so we really have invested a lot of our time into it and our infrastructures on it that you know we can now take advantage of a lot of this stuff and one thing i had the week off last week actually and you know with the with the keynote stuff going on and i'm a sad guy so you know experimenting and stuff and i was playing around with a couple of little um lambda stuff bits and bobs like serverless stuff um and, I've, and we just released a blog post actually on the tech blog uh, i'll put it in the show notes where i was experimenting with memes as a service so it's a very simple contrived uh, like kind of lambda service where you provide you know you have a selection of meme backgrounds that you normally choose and then you can just generate the top and bottom text um text elements of it and you know it uses things like image magic and stuff and it just has it in all in a lambda it's all you know kind of you pay for it as you use it so you pay per meme kind of thing you know and it's it's an interesting thing and and because that's the nice thing about thinking about lambda lambda is only pretty much dockerized containers of each of your functions on a base amazon linux operating system so another thing actually i did was i used I use something called Sox, which is the sound exchange application. I was I compiled that down actually into full. Uh, I compiled that down to be compatible with the, the Lambda Amazon AMI. Yeah. 
put that in and I'm able to actually do something like joining up. So I did that and the winner is. So it says and the winner is and you would actually use Polly their um, like Google kind of voice thing. And it would actually yeah say and the winner is you pass in the name. And then you would return back an MP3 with it all joined together and had a little applause. So I've been experimenting with a lot of those sad things. Uh, there's another blog post coming out for that. But yeah, it's, it's just great. There's a lot of services. There's a lot of way of integrating them all, things like that. You know, there we're playing around with Lambda where, you know, you've got function as a service. You're then experimenting with Poly, which is another service they provide. But you get to, you know, just use it as and when you want. You don't have to worry about another API to an external service. You can just kind of deal with it in the Amazon world. And then you're dealing with compiled application code, static binaries that you've compiled yourself and you're able to actually run them in these containers and in in this Docker, you know, Dockerized kind of instance, which is abstracted down to just little functions. So it's just, yeah, it's just a great way of thinking that the function as a service to me, like serverless methodology paradigm, it really, for me, it really kind of feels right. Yeah, I, I give it one year before you <laughs> move on and move everything over to GoDaddy uh, because they have tools that everyone can use. Um, <laughs> one year. Oh, man. It, 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 this is the thing, though, with like, I think, you know, Amazon, like over the last five years, they've completely changed a lot of the way we think about stuff. And and that was one thing, actually. So taking back, you know, kind of going back to our previous episode where I said, you know, my builder, we've moved all over our whole stack and we're still kind of thinking in a server-based model. There's that analogy where you're dealing with it as pets or you're dealing with it as cattle. We're definitely still treating some of our servers as pets, you know, where we're kind of nurturing them, you know, we're slowly, you know, patching them and whatnot. We're thinking about them kind of as individual assets as opposed to cattle where you consider them. It's very not very nice uh, analogy, really, but you don't mm. treat them as kind of, you know, individual things, bless them. Um, you know, so I, I would say we're definitely thinking that. And there's other analogies like the snowflake to the Phoenix to the immutable server-based model. And this is what cloud actually allows you to kind of explore and open up to where snowflakes are kind of how we de- I definitely used to use servers back in the day where, you know, you'd have a server and you'd patch it, you'd install it on the, all on the server. You know, it would become this box where you don't really know what the configuration is because it's kind of occurred over time. It's just compounded over time where you've got these updates, these configs and stuff. And that that's kind of, they call it a snowflake where, you know, it's this very brittle kind of, delicate thing you have to be very careful of um then then you move on to a phoenix uh server architecture where phoenix is like you burn it down like a phoenix and you rises from the ashes so the idea is you can actually tear down the box and build it back up so things using like puppet and um chef and things like that where you can actually orchestrate and you know you can kind of provision boxes from a base and generate a server to the configuration you need at that time. And I, I would say, I, I wrote it in the blog post, actually, another blog post I did where I'll put that in the show notes, where, you know, I think we're between those, where we were between, like, we're more on the Phoenix side because definitely we can provision these boxes and definitely move around to EC2, where, you know, we have, to, you know, we've, we've definitely invested a lot more in kind of provisioning new boxes and stuff like that. We've got our tool chain down there with Puppet. Um, but, I really want to kind of get over to the side where we are moving to a more mutable server architecture, which is definitely how the cloud you really can take what you can take advantage of in the cloud where you just, everything's an image and the like immutable, you know, coding, like immutable functions, like immutable, the mutable paradigm, you know, the functional paradigm and mutable paradigm don't change anything. And the idea is that you just build a new copy of it. So 
you know, what would happen is, is that you'd have a deploy release, you'd have the stock image that you've provisioned with, you know, as a Phoenix server. So you built that up and then you would pop on the code that, for that deploy and you'd create a new army, a new AMI image or just an image on based on whatever provider you're using. And you'd put that on the server. And then you tear down that whole server when you want a new version, or if you want to say update PHP to the new 7.11.12 or so 7.1.12 or whatever, you'd provision a new server and you'd then, you know, have a new base AMI image that you would then have to deploy on and everything would be images and everything is in itself in its entirety where you don't, you would never SSH onto a box really, this is kind of what I feel, you know, you'd never SSH onto a box and apply a change or an upgrade manually or change a configuration file, do a deploy on a box where, you know, you have multiple versions of it and you're just doing symlink switches and stuff. Everything is a different image and a different server and you can tear them up and down as and when you want. I feel like it's interesting because this whole idea of serverless architecture and, and the immutable server architecture type thing is definitely the way forward but it also feels like in some ways that we'll be losing um a bit of an art because i guess for me like after learning code uh the next sort of step was like learning how to set up a, a lamp stack and all the rest and i think you know speaking to most sort of programmers who were self-taught that was a route that most of them went down was code and then uh i guess more a little bit of devops and that kind of thing whereas with this kind of infrastructure you're going to need less of that doesn't mean that it's less skilled because um you know i i just started looking at uh, lambdas and uh, and all the rest and you know there's a learning curve there and um but it's different isn't it i, I in my it, mind i feel like it's a diff- yeah. developers of the next generation can be very def- different from ours but again i think they're more specific and i think you know where we've got you know when you think of yourself as a full stack developer you have to have a host of different skills and being an expert in one or being an expert in a couple or you know kind of thing but it's it's a tough one like, I, I agree with you you know it, it is nice to be able to kind of think about the whole stack but the more i kind of go down this more devopsy kind of dealing with architecture infrastructure route i realized like if someone else can deal with it it's a lot easier like patching yeah. boxes and stuff it's just no fun and always no. a problem and all that kind of stuff and dealing with hardware dealing with provisioning boxes dealing with provisioning servers hardware real hardware handling you know real hardware handling real servers you know the levels up you know where you've got platform where you've got infrastructure service platform as a service where platforms allow and empower developers who don't want to know but they want the safe skill they want the safety and they want like you know the ability to do load balancing and expand and contract as they want yeah. You know, they can deal with platforms and they can deal with things like Beanstalk or Heroku and things. Or you get into the functions where it's like, I don't really care at all about anything but the language I'm using and what's the input and output. And that's it. So it's a really, you know, different levels. Um, but it, it kind of empowers each person at their level because at each you know level they want to be at where if you only want to deal with the code, you only have to deal with the code. Um, if you want to drop down and you want to use things like containers and stuff and start building up applications that way you can, or if you want to deal with just actually dealing with the infrastructure and only having the abstraction level being that you don't care about the compute, you want, you know, the operating system above. Um, but you know, you really, yeah, it, it is interesting where probably five years ago we were dealing with hardware. So we were dealing with not even having the abstraction of compute. We had to understand the computer. We had to understand the CPU. We had to understand everything about it yeah. from a fundamental level to build up. Whereas now you can kind of come in at any level you want and excel to, you know, to the level you want to be at. 
Um, but they all have their pros and cons. And, and, and you know, there, there's some things that workflow don't work well with, say, a serverless architecture, or you have to kind of think of differently than when you can move down the stack and stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. So, so you said you're looking into Lambdas and stuff. What, what did you think of them? Uh, I literally, literally just uh, glanced, really. So um, also I know you've used them and I know my friend Nick is using them for his. So he created like a, um, I, don't know, I don't know if I told you this, but like a, uh, like a five-a-side football um, like organizer thing. So he used it internally where he was working and it was huge success. Everyone loved it. And he'd really not, um, he's very much a sort of Java world, but he, so this was like his first step into like using Amazon and all the rest. And he found it very easy to use. And I guess probably because you can write the lambdas in Java. And um, so, you know, he, he sort of started talking to me about it and I, we didn't understand the concept of it at all at first and then uh, had a little look. And yeah, I mean, to me, it looks really cool, but I can't at this moment in time get my head around, you know, could you build a large application with just lambdas? And then how would you structure it in a way that was readable? Um, I don't, so you've got like a, like a JSON file, haven't you? That would, that sort of determines what, what lambda to be used on what type of action. Is that the sort of idea? So yeah, so it, it, you know, at a fundamental level, it's just a simple function you can kind of think of input in. Uh, so yeah, you put some input in as an event, and output comes out, and you can either chain them together or you can do a side effect or whatever. I think the one thing that wins out with something like AWS or what wins out with the function as a service paradigm is you have to have good inputs and good outputs. Like, there's no point if you really have you know you can do all this compute inside of it, but if you can't send it anywhere if you can't get it in or you can't invoke it from anywhere it's kind of a pointless thing and that's one thing you know amazon's done very well with like api gateway with all of the different bindings you can get around um like there's a lot of things so another thing actually with reinvent was the a lot of talk about the internet of things you know small microcontrollers or like the, you know those little dash button things and stuff like the amazon buttons and stuff like very simple single purpose hardware modules and now there's this in uh, like internet of thing one click um, service which essentially binds say like you know a hardware button or an action like that to a lambda and like these are things that make lambda and empower lambda because these are the inputs and stuff that you want the stimulus you want in and then you can do an event out and like outputs and stuff can be api gateway responses can be things into databases can be email you know any, anything you can think of it can do but you do kind of have to think about how you yeah how are you going to organize this like it's not a typical web application um you know you have to think of it in a, in a bit of a different way and there's things like the serverless framework which allows you to treat things more as kind of you know cohesive unit where you've got a bunch of functions that kind of relate to each other and can you know coexist you know where it's like an application api and stuff like that uh, one thing i'm working at the moment is a very stupid like mince pie challenge where api kind of thing and what it does is it you know it has like the ability to rate mince pies add mince pies it uses authorization through uh, cognito which is the aws um, user account management service which that is so essentially they deal with the sign up and the, in the management, the passwords, everything of users. And I just get back the authorization and a UID, which tells me oh, that's that user. So I can let them deal with that. Yeah, the way you have to structure it, there's this model called the SAM model, which is the serverless application model and stuff, which I'll put some things in the show notes. I need to read up more about it myself, actually. But I've been mainly dealing with, say, serverless stuff at the moment, serverless framework, where I've just been kind of playing around with more contrived examples. But when it gets to a sufficient size, and it is interesting that more and more people are actually building 
bigger and bigger things. So they're learning from, you know, this new design pattern and stuff. And it is a new design paradigm and way of thinking. But I, I just think... The more I do, yeah. So the more I deal with servers, and the more I'd have to deal with patching and all that, the more I don't want servers. It's actually funny. You you just realise this is the work that you don't really need to deal with. If someone else can deal with it for me, great. Like if I can just give you the code and you run it, and this, you know, the pros are that you will patch the boxes, you will deal with scaling up and down. Mm. You know, I will pay just when this code's run. I mean, that's in itself is just an amazing attribute to have. Like the fact that I don't have to pay for a server to be running all the time for someone maybe to hit this. I only know that I'll pay for it if you know that function gets executed. Yeah. It's just a, a great way of thinking, and and it completely changes the way you kind of can design and build things. And yeah, the way of scalability just goes, you know, to kind of it just yeah completely changes the way the thought processes that you go through when just building and kind of you know kind of planning out how you're going to build an application. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of sold on it to be honest with you. Um... I'm going to have to look into the user management thing you were just talking about as well, because that sounds good. Cognito, yeah. So there's there's two there's two things actually. So there's the Cognito user pools. So user pools allow you to so essentially there's like their own JavaScript SDKs and all these different SDKs for it, but they deal with the concept of having a user that needs a password, that needs verification. It deals with multi-factor authentication. It can deal with you know um, the time-based one-time passwords and things like that all dealt for you you don't have to handle it you don't have to worry about hashing don't have to worry about any of that stuff you just let them deal with it and you have the user and then you get a simple uuid back which is that user there's things also called federated pools or identity federated pools and what they allow you to do is actually pull together multiple different user accounts so say you may have ones that are hosted on amazon but you may also have ones that are hosted maybe locally to yourself yeah. Or, you know, on your own servers, or you may want to have Facebook, or you may want to log in with Google. You want to log in with all these different types of user accounts, but you want to deal with it and actually access them in a kind of logical, federated way. Uh, it can deal with that too, and you can, you know, handle it. How does that work with, uh, that's what you're saying, so you can, you know, let the user fill in the username and password, it goes off and you just get a user ID back or GUID or whatever. And do you then have to create a session or a token or does it give you that as well? It gives you back a token. So it uses OAuth for that OAuth tool too. Um, the actual library, the SDK library. So I was using it, I'm using it for a single page application actually for this MincePy thing. It handles all for you. Like it's great. So I'm only using the user pool part of it actually. And I can just call it to ask me to sign up the user, to register it, to confirm the user, to log in. And when it logs in, it just provides me back a simple, it's JSON web token. And I can just supply that in all my requests to my API. So you'd have some sort of like middleware that every time you you know need something that needs uh, authority to do it, you would call amazon and it would check that the token is still valid and does all the reissuing of the yeah, token it does all that so that it might what i think yeah so what i what i know of it is that it does do the refreshing on its own and everything with inside this sdk right so every time i'm calling and asking for that token it's always an up-to-date token um the actual third middleware actually in at the client end or sorry at the server end is based on using lambda the api gateway authorizers and you can just bind saying i want an authorizer whether it be a custom one so you can do your own custom stuff or i'm saying just make sure it's part of this user pool so as long as it's someone inside the user pool uh, who's been confirmed yes they can access this resource and then i can do stuff in within my lambda as and when i want it's just a completely different way of thinking and you know i, I understand like i am putting a lot of my a lot of fish in one basket or a lot of yeah, i don't know what the, yeah. <laughs> I, I am putting a lot of i'm putting a lot of trust in, in amazon there 
you know, where you're kind of putting a lot of kind of all these services together and you're kind of, you know, wired them up to, 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 for, you know, to solve your needs. Um, but I think the pros it gives you definitely outweigh the cons where I'm able to spin this up and now I don't have to worry about pretty much anything. Like once it's, ru- when it's, once it's running, it's running. Like the user stuff is managed by them. I don't have databases that I have to worry about. I can do a DynamoDB database, which is hosted by them. I don't have to upgrade. I don't have to worry about the server. You know, it, it, all these things go away, especially if you're a one-man band or if you just want to try something out. This is a great model to try on. And it can just expand and contract it how you want. So the problem with having these conversations with you is I dread them because I've been working on an application in my spare time, which I'm now going to have to tear apart because I'm sold on definitely <laughs> the management side of things. But uh, And also, this has been worth it for the new manism, which is putting all your fish in one basket, which I would like I would like to be the name of this uh, this episode. Oh, I think it definitely will be. Putting all your fish in one basket in because no basket. one wants to put all their you fish in one basket. You don't want to um, put in one basket. No. no, you don't. And no. actually, so speaking actually about the serverless architecture, so it's pay for what you use, really. Yeah. The, they've actually, and this blows my mind, so Aurora is the Amazon's um, managed database. So they, they manage MySQL, the management MarinaDB. They manage Postgres, but they also manage... Their own, well, they also have their own offering, which is Aurora, which it seems to just be amazing. Like it's compli- compatible with MySQL and Postgres. There's a couple of little bits we've noticed in the Postgres one, which we really would like. Um, but it essentially allows you to scale in infinitely in and out kind of thing. You can think of it um, as and when you want. Um, but it also has now provided. So typically with a database, you would have to have it always on and you'd provision a massive box for it. And, you know, it'd be like, you know, a massive box that would deal with all the traffic that you may get throughout the day. Well, now they've actually been able to separate the data tier from the compute tier and you can actually get served or you will be able to get serverless Aurora, which essentially means that you can scale and you only pay for the the queries that are actually being run on your database. That makes so much sense. Which blows my mind. Yeah. It really does. But it's insane to think how, you know, like throughout the day, it's very active. And then through the night, it's not. And it, you don't get charged for it. You only get charged then for the data being stored in S3 or in whatever computer, like whatever data storage they use for Aurora. Yeah. It really makes you change the way you think about just everything. It's just, mm. and this is what the cloud gives you. This is because they can do it at such a scale, they can give you these gains and they can produce these services that you would never even be able to dream about making. You know, like they're at such a different scale that they can produce these things and this tooling around it. Um, they've actually purchased Cloud9 um, a couple of months back, and now they've released that as well. And Cloud9 is this online in the browser IDE, um, and it allows you to do stuff like so. You essentially be able to just develop in the browser as well. So I guess I was going to say uh, again, because you know I'm, I'm paranoid, but I mean the hackers are always going to focus on the things that are popular, right? So I mean, I guess in the back of my mind is always this fear, like you say, put all your fish in one basket. And then you wake up one morning like, oh, you know, Amazon's been hacked and uh, basically it's the end of the world. And But I mean, I guess the chances are so small, but it's it a compliment is. man to say it would never, ever happen. Exactly. And you know what? And, and this is, again, it's a calculated risk, isn't it? Where do you want to take advantage of all the tooling and kind of the way you can move and, you know, duck and weave and, you know, like the common things like patching servers and stuff, like when a bug comes out, like I trust Amazon more than I would trust me having to, well, you know, you'd have to patch them yourself or you'd have to make sure that all these servers and all these, like all these different bits of infrastructure that you have, you have to remember to patch them all to keep them up to date. Yeah. Um, you know, 
I, I, I would say, you know, letting Amazon deal with that is a far better thing. And they're going to do a better job if they're going to have to, because they've probably got, they've got teams that are just solely, their job is just patching stuff. Yeah. So yeah. they're going to patch everything. Whereas I would have to do it as part of my job where I'd have to remember to patch it, where I'm probably doing other things. So yeah. it, it really allows them because they've got this scale. They have teams that deal with this. Um, but I do understand. I agree. You know, like you are then putting all your fish in one basket. You know, you, you're saying if they get hacked, you're screwed. But I do then put that a lot of companies, bigger companies, bigger fish in the pot in the ponds. You know, they have invested a lot more in AWS than we have or than we would ever do, and they're reaping the rewards. So why can't we? If we're a small, are we worrying that much? Like, where's the value and where's like the perceived benefits, and do they outweigh the cons that could potentially happen? And I, I do believe that the pros outweigh the cons in this, and that's always been that was always our discussion point with moving to AWS was. Can we trust, you know, can we trust the, the systems and how do we go about, you know, kind of handling the fact if, if something bad happened, but you just have to kind of sometimes think, look, we're going to get so much value out of it that it's going to outweigh the con that could maybe potentially a percentage, you know, minor percentage happen. Yeah. Also, in other news, I have it on good authority that Father Christmas has uh dispatched or will be dispatching my raspberry pi and sensor kit oh sir this is exciting time i know i know it's well why don't you talk to speak to the audience about our lovely whatsapp discussion about this uh i can't remember what the discussion was so um (laughs) oh yeah you just essentially you just sent us didn't you some like interesting things like you so what what are you thinking about making with this raspberry pi i don't know but i know like for example like one sensors is like testing for like the uh, uh, like how much water is in soil and that kind of thing, which is going to be useful because I grow a hell of a lot of things. And um, so there's a lot of things that I, it's, it's going to change my life, put it that way. But uh, no, I just... Well, I'm looking forward to blog posts on this, man. I need blog posts. I haven't done one in years. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I probably will do it at some point. And again, but like you say, it's finding the time, but it's going to be limited to like when Toby's going to sleep and stuff. But uh yeah, so no, I'm looking forward to it. I really am, and the butler's good. The downside is I'm gonna to have to learn Python, uh, which isn't really a downside, but obviously I spent pretty much a whole podcast slanging it off, so uh, <laughs> that that'll be good. Um, but no, no, it'd be good to push me to learn a different language. So you know, it kills two birds with one stone, really. No, it's good, man. And you because you last episode you were talking about how you wanted to like kind of handle microcontrollers you were kind of elon musk dealing with hardware dealing with electronic side of things the actual automation mechanics behind stuff this is a great entry into it yeah definitely and i think long term I've, I've got a real interest in sort of um batteries and storing electricity and how that all works so i'd love to have a look at that at some point as well i think that'd be my my long-term goal and then maybe start trying to do things with sort of solar energy and uh and then basically just take over the world. So um, very cool, man. Yeah, very cool. Actually, I've got one thing. Actually, I know that we want to keep this short and sweet this episode. Um, uh, one thing I've been doing at work, actually, and this is an again an AWS thing. I'm the worst thing to talk about at the moment. It's AWS. So we're actually decided to pump all of our traffic through CloudFront. So CloudFront's their CDN offering, but they have uh, the ability to deal with dynamic content through CloudFront. And so you may be asking, why would you bother dealing with you know dynamic stuff through CloudFront? Why not go directly to your server? Well, the, the benefits you get from dealing with CloudFront is you get their web application firewall. So they actually deal with, you know, 
DDoS attacks and things like that. You can use the you can use the AWS Shield if you want some real DDoS attack protection. But you you get like a good enough, a good you know sufficient enough kind of through their standard offering, and you get to deal with things like it deals with SQL injections, you know, simple cross site scripting stuff. All this stuff kind of just you know the traffic comes in and they're able to just look after it and pass it a bit better like that. Um, so they'll do a rate limiting as well. So making sure, you know, all these things I configured with Nginx, they'll be able to deal with rate limiting and handle all that. They also deal with SSL terminations. So you don't have to deal with stripping, you know, like SSL termination stuff, at, you know, TLS stripping and that whatnot, your end. Um, and they can host host the certificates there, their end as well. Uh, another thing with the CloudFront benefits with the CloudFront stuff is that they have edge nodes, especially if you're doing global stuff, but particularly like, you know, like kind of you can think of it in really anywhere, like, you know, they have edge nodes or edge locations in many places around the world. And also they have, they're called POPs, points of presence as well, where they have a lot of different servers hosted around the world. And what you can do is actually, what happens is the request from that user will go to that POP or go to that edge location and it will go through the Amazon's own infrastructure directly to your service. So they can pipe it through as like HTTP2 traffic. So it'll come, you know, from, you know, one HTTP1 from this, the client go to a very close location, you know, a geographically located uh, point of presence from Amazon and then go through their pipes all the way up to wherever your EC2 instance or wherever your infrastructure or computer is actually based. So you just do, you know, you get the benefits from that. You get the benefits from the SSL termination. You get the benefits from the web, uh, web application firewall and the rate limiting and stuff. And it just allows you, again, to kind of remove some of that care, like, I don't want to deal with termination of SSL. I want them to deal with it. I just want to deal with my compute and my logic and you know my infrastructure internally. And it's just a great way of thinking. You read my mind because I literally was going to ask you about that. Actually, it was the kind of like the intrusion? Is it intrusion detection software and that kind of thing? So, um, yeah, that's really cool. But what, one of the other questions I was going to ask was: Is it ever safe, like, to say, okay, only accept requests from um, this IP address, or can IP addresses be? um hoaxed in when a request comes through can, can someone say it's coming from this ip address but it's not no, well unless they can proxy it through that so yeah you can say it's going for the ip address you have to be careful make sure it's a static ip address that doesn't sure. change yeah, yeah. so the, the scary thing obviously with us is that uh you know especially if we've got you know home and internet connections you don't really get static yeah. ip addresses yeah. so you can do ranges you know if you want to say like the virgin media range that you typically have like so you can just get the range of ip addresses um but yeah so you can't it's very it's it's not possible unless you proxy through to get that ip address you can't really trick the server into believing it is that uh, without it actually being okay 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 that's cool but again, it's it's putting all your fish in one basket, like you know. But it's saying, does Amazon deal with CloudFront and deal with like points of presence and deal with the fact of let them strip it and let them pipe it to my box and then I'll do it and return to you. And other things like there's Lambda at Edge, uh, which is essentially Lambda, a, a reduced Lambda compute power function as a service at each Edge node. So I can do very simple, you know, stripping cookie requests and stuff like compute and little functions at the Edge nodes per request. Uh, instead of having to worry about it at my server. So in terms of, say you go down the microservices infrastructure and you, you've got lots of services that communicate, how would you use uh, Amazon infrastructure to to authenticate, you know, whether they're allowed to communicate with each other in the first place? What would be the best way? So the way you do that is through things like VPC. Um, so that's the virtual private cloud uh, and IMA roles. So that's identity access management roles and stuff. And they, uh, you know, Amazon, when you first go into the Amazon AWS stuff and you look into it, it can be quite scary. The amount of like, 
you know, it's very complex in some, you know, with the policies and the roles and stuff because there's so much, you know, around it. But you soon get there, you know, to understand, you know, kind of accessing the roles, allow and deny and kind of restrictions and stuff. So you deal with it on a role-based basis on the AWS world. And then you use things like VPC to deal with and construct your own virtual private clouds, which is essentially, you know, your own network infrastructure. So you want a subnet for these these this compute this you know this type of service so you have your you know your load balancer which only interacts with this subnet and that you know so this subnet can only return traffic on port 80 or whatever and stuff and you can have security groups which are actually per instance to so say like in ec2 you have a security groups that actually say what are this service can actually accept and deny right so you know what happens this is the beautiful thing about say ec2 like with security groups is that's a it's a whitelist as opposed to a blacklist so it will only you specify exactly what ports are open and it's stateful. So it means that it will, you know, say a port 80, I get requesting from port 80, I can return from port 80 or port 22, but it doesn't open everything up by default. So it's a it's a software hard a software firewall that they manage that allows you just to, you know, add and rules as, as you please. Well, I'm going to have to wrap it up. That was, uh, that was full on, but, um, yeah, I'm sure we've got other stuff we can cover in the next. I'm time. sure next time, man. No, it's been great, man. Do you want to do you want to do the closing salutations again? Yeah. The closing. Well, I'm not going to say it's been the greatest. It's been the second greatest episode ever. So uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back <laughs> at some point. Thanks for listening. See you later, guys. Cheers. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at three devs and a maybe dot com. Or follow us on Twitter at the number three, Devs and a Maybe.